The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across me is the one, the only, the terrible beast herself. Dammy, the underdog, Underwood. Uh, we're going to give you guys a friendly reminder to uh, whatever streaming service or download service that you're using to get this show. Please feel free to go on there and comment on the episode. Not just the whole show, but the episode too. Kind of let us know what you're feeling, you know. Um, help us change the show for the better. Let's get right into This is call number four, by the way, that we got from the Happy Face Killer, Keith Jesperson, on April 8th, 2023. Let's get into the call. Hey, welcome back, right. Keith. So, so anyway, we're uh, we're dealing with the uh, Andrew Sabree's case now. And uh, in 1997, Dateline NBC wanted to do a show on me, and they came in. They filmed me in uh, October, and it had to do with a Jack Crescenzi and his. This was one of these guys that wanted me to claim that his murder was my murder, kind of thing. And so we were able to entice to get Dateline in to do this, this interview, which they did. They came in and they filmed me, and then they went over to EO and filmed Jack, and, and they were, like, uh, really going pushing on that. Now, it was all based upon I wanted them to do the show, uh, and I lied to them. And, of course, I knew they were going to prove I lied to them. And when they did, they were going to do a show, which aired in January of 1998, called True Life which they proved I was a liar on national TV. Now, what good does that do? Well, I had credibility when I came to prison, and that's a bad thing to have when you're a multiple killer because anyone can say anything, and they just feel that it must be true, but it's not. So we've talked about this before, I'm sure, about how the legal system plays this out. Anyway, so in Dateline, they proved I was a liar on national TV. And the Wyoming case, the only reason I was in Wyoming is because I gave the information to Ken Montebrun, which was the jailhouse informant in Clark County, and he made a deal, a better deal, so he could, so they could kill me in Wyoming. This is their basis of, they're going to use his testimony to kill me. And so his rape with a knife, that was his, his, what he was charged with. He was charged with rape with a knife, and they cut his deal down to a sexual misconduct in Clark County. And so, which meant that he would actually go free at one point down the road. But when I got to Wyoming, this is one of the things they say, well, I didn't play fair, was the fact that uh, when Dateline aired in January, they proved I was a liar. And I now, what my lawyer says, well, what was the big deal about that? Well, the only reason I was in Wyoming is because I lied to a, to a jailhouse informant. In fact, and what he had done is he'd made a bunch of other lies. And all I have to do is prove that any part of what a story is is a lie, and then the case goes away. And that's what I did. I proved that, you know, his, he claimed that I, that I killed her in, in Wyoming and dragged the body from from uh, Cheyenne all the way to mile marker 210. And, and I told him, I said, what we're going to do, I told the prosecutor and, and through my lawyer, and I said, you need to get a cadaver tied underneath a truck and stop, a, you know, every few miles to prove how much wear is on the body so that... Uh, you know how far I dragged it. And they were 
they didn't want to do that, of course. They were like, oh, my God, that's just, that's just morbid. And I said, well, they, it'll prove that. Now, there are other things I could do. But anyway, I was able to prove that uh, the case didn't happen in Wyoming. Even though I took a deal there, um, and the jailhouse informant's name came up in, in the transcripts and everything and why I was there. And it was just to settle the case. I said that I believe that um, a Wyoming jury would still find me guilty and still put me on death row. Anyway, they wouldn't care whether it happened in Nebraska or not. That that that's why we they settled it so they give me a life sentence. And then they sent me back to Oregon. Now, one of the things your viewers may want may not understand is that Con Air, not like in the movie, they picked me up uh, and flew me. Oklahoma City, then from Oklahoma City, put me on a Learjet and flew me into Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I settled, and then later they drove me down to Pueblo, Colorado, and I got into 737 again and back to Oklahoma City, then over to, over to Seattle, and then bus down to Sheridan in Oregon and drove over to OSP, and that's how my route was. But the cost to taxpayers was $136,000 just to transport me there and back. Jesus wow. Christ. And that that that's that's the hall that that's that's to do something that and I'm gonna get time I'm never gonna do. Now I, I sat in the judge's chambers in Wyoming and I said, Why are we here? You know, I told I told the court that I would settle this, you know, while I was in, in, in Oregon to a life sentence in writing. Just all I do is we could have done this over the phone. And it had to do with the word aggravated. They wanted the word aggravated on the on the on the sentencing structure. And I said, okay, then fine, put it on there. Who cares? I'm never going to do your time. And that's what we did. We sat there, and, and this is after they've committed themselves to say they're going to go after me for the death sentence, only to a month later give me a life sentence and run away with their tail between the legs. And that's what they did. I mean. I went to court. I went to court that one day to settle the case. The press wasn't there. There was no press there. They didn't call the press to let it know it was happening. I went into a, a courtroom that was empty, and the only ones who were in there were the judge, the bailiff, um, the court reporter, the prosecutor. The prosecutor was a third-string prosecutor. It wasn't. It wasn't Kingpin Tristani, or King Tristani, or Johnny Fourwood, or whatever his name was. The prosecutor. They weren't them. They were. They weren't even there. We had the third string prosecutor come in and settle the case. And I told the judge, I said, the case wasn't even your case. It was a Nebraska case. The only reason we were there because of Ken Montebrun, Duke, his nickname is, is was was the jailhouse informant that was going to make the case for Wyoming, and they had to bring that all in. He said, yeah, well, that's why they're there. So we were there to settle. So I told him that Wyoming would probably find me guilty, but. I would prove, you know, because they're a pioneer justice state, just like Texas is, that I believe they would find me guilty, and that's why we were settling the deal. They, we were settling the deal because they wanted me out of there. They did not want to go to trial because they knew all the evidence was out in the open, and the chance of them actually giving me a death sentence would be nil, none to nil, pretty much. And that's why we settled, and then I was sent back. Now, like I say, at a big cost, $136,000 round trip. To accomplish absolutely fucking nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We, They knew I was guilty when I, 
before I went there. I I threw this at them right in their face. I said, well, "But if you're gonna if you're gonna take me, if you're gonna try me and put me on death row, then we're gonna make you pay for it." And that's what we did. They could have had this settled for nothing. I mean, we could have done this over the phone. My my, they didn't even have to have me there in the state to do it. Right, right, right. And, yeah, I mean that's just how it, how it can happen. But that's that's how it works. But. The only thing left now to really talk about is my number eight murder, huh? Right, right. Now she was right. your she was your girlfriend at the time, right? Well, my girlfriend was in nineteen ninety three. This is like say, like I wanted to touch a bit when we first started talking about nineteen ninety three. I met Julie in the spring of nineteen ninety three at the Burns Brothers truck stop in, in Troutdale. And she went with me. I, I, I convinced her to get in the truck with me. I went up to the social grocery in Seattle to make my delivery. Ended up over in Othello, picked up a load of potatoes, headed for uh, Lucky Stores in Irvine, California. We drove down to Lucky's in Irvine and made our delivery. Went over and I dropped my trailer off in Fontana off of Cherry Street there at the truck stop. Bobtailed my truck over to uh, Knott's Berry Farm. And we spent the night at Knott's Berry Farm till midnight and came back to the truck stop. And uh, spent the night and then... Uh, uh, in the morning, we're having breakfast, and I look around, and she's gone. I know where she's at. So we'll go back to the truck, and here she's on the, in the truck trying to buy marijuana off the radio. Of all stupid things. Because cops and never I, listen I, to a radio. Off the CB radio? Yeah. They're talking on the CB radio. Hey, man, I want to buy some pot. She had no money. <laughs> she was, she was going to spend my money. That's when I found out that marijuana was going to be $40 for an eighth of an ounce. Jesus this is in 1993, ridiculous. and the last time I had bought marijuana was seven dollars and fifty cents for a four-finger lid. Back in <laughs> wow. the back in the seventies, right? This is like what? What do you mean it's forty dollars for an eighth of an ounce? Anyway, I told her I said, "Well, just because I don't smoke it doesn't mean I don't know how to get it." Right, right. You know, I'm in. A, I'm a goddamn truck driver. I mean, I, I know how to get this shit if I want it, but I don't want it. But I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll get you. So she was talking about how horny it made her and all that. So I said, no, it didn't make her horny. It made her go to sleep. You know, the last time I bought her marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> kind of ends the party, doesn't it? You know what, though? I could I could get her drunk with alcohol, and then she'd, want, she'd get real horny with drunk alcohol. But as far as marijuana, no, that made her go to sleep. I was just saying, marijuana can her. be an aphrodisiac, though. Just saying. No, <laughs> uh, it could be, I guess. Well, maybe. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll never find out. <laughs> that's so true. She, I buy. I, I, I locate the guy that's polishing the wheels. I, I, I put the question to him. He says, yeah, got you covered, right? So I tell her that she opens up this toolbox. There's a whole bunch of grass in there. And I tell her, you pick out the one you want. I'm not going to pick it out because I don't want If I pick out the one, it's probably going to be the wrong one. It's the one that's going to have all the little stems in it and all that stuff. It's not going to have the right bud or something like that. Stems and seeds, and man. Like, that's a shitty fucking bud. Yeah, I'm going like, what the hell, right? So, so she picks it out. And then I tell her when she says, you can't smoke it in the truck. What do you mean I can't smoke it? She says, well, because I drive up into Canada, right? Right. I can't I can't cross this border because they have sniffers up there. I mean, they have, they have scent dogs up there and whatever like that. I can't cross it. You can have a seed of marijuana in my, a seed in there, and the dog picks that up and sits down. 
I'm throwing on the ground until they find it. Right. You know, and I, I could lose my truck and everything. I lose everything by that. Anyway, so you're gonna have to smoke it outside the truck. You know, that's when it's so. Then she starts calling around asking people, hey, man, you want to help me smoke my pot? And no, you're not going to share it. I didn't buy it so you could smoke it with everybody else in this place and then burn up my... Anyway, she puffed on a little bit, and we drove from there up to Bakersfield. We stopped up at Bakersfield, and uh, we stopped... I think that's Bruce's truck stop in Bakersfield. I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah, there, there, and, there was uh, Bruce's uh, truck stop up there. Yeah, there's a, there's a motel on the on the south side of the roadway from Bruce's, and uh, we stayed in the motel that night. It has a nice swimming pool, went swimming and everything like that. And there's a bar down the street. We went to the bar, and uh, I decided I was going to get drunk, so I, I ordered six double shots of 151 rum Bacatis, right? I set those up, and I just, one right after the other went down, you know, I just dropped them down my throat, right? Turned around to her and I said, "I'm going back to the hotel. I'm gonna. By the time I get there, she's about ready to fall asleep." And that's what I did. I walked back. Now she came back later and woke me up. And she had, I guess, alcohol makes her horny, and that's what she wanted. And that's what we did. <laughs> it was kind of. It was our. I figured I was going to keep her drunk, and that'd be what my dad would have done. <laughs> anyway. It makes sense if you think about it. I call that vagina logic. I mean, you do what yeah. you got to do to ensure that you're going to have a good time that night. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I, we, we ended up drive, getting a load of uh, Eagle, uh, um, Eagle Snacks. And now Eagle Snacks, we're going to go to Denver to, pick, to drop off Eagle Snacks in Denver. And I, I told her, well, that's not going to be a very short run. And she said, why not? I said, well, we've got to go to Wyoming we got to go up north and come back down into Denver. We can't go across We can't go across the Great Divide. We'll blow up our trailer. They stacked us full of eagle snacks and potato chips. And uh, you well, can't me, you can't go over the top of I-70. Let me let me explain to people why. Let me explain cuz people are going to sit there and go, "Why not?" So, y'all Y'all they, Yeah, y'all, don't make fun of me. I will come over there and I will kick you in the cooter. Y'all <laughs> when y'all. When you're hauling anything that has a lot of air in it, like Cool Whip or potato chips, it expands. So if you go over, like, let's say you go through Eisenhower Tunnel up, uh, you know, across 70, eh, that and paint and Cool Whip and things like that will freaking explode. And you're, all you're going to have when you get there is a big freaking mess and a pissed off customer. <laughs> Does it go boom? Well, if you get there, if you get there at all. Oh yeah, depending I, on what trailer, you're I watched. I saw a Snyder truck, a trailer, a Snyder trailer parked along the uh, the highway, broke in half, and popcorn was everywhere. Ooh, damn! Stacked that thing all the way up, all the way back, and the whole trailer split right in half, and it was sitting there on the floor, on the ground, and that's what that's where it was. And that's because of the air, the thin air up there, and the expansion. You know, it, it caused it caused a. Uh, it exploded the damn van. So, yeah, so I told her that. She, she didn't believe me. And so I gave her the 800 number to call Eagle Snacks, their shipping receiving office, and they called that. They explained it to her. But anyway, we made the trip, and then we eventually made it back to, uh, to the Portland area. And when she got here, now, she's one of those girls that, that would stay at somebody's house until she's no longer welcome. And then she'd move on to another person's house. She's not paying rent. She's just there. 
sleeping on the couch or whatever like that. And that's what that's what I found out what she was. So when I dropped her off in uh, in, in Troutdale, she got her car, and then the next thing I did, I got a phone call. Well, she's living in a house up in Washougal, way up on up there past Washougal River, way up on the top there. And uh, I go up and see her, and of course that's a windy damn road. Next, I would never take my trailer up there again. But anyway. So I get up there and I see her for the night and whatever like that. But she eventually overstays her welcome at that place. And she goes to another place and overstays her welcome. Eventually, she convinces me to find a room at my friend Jerry's house in which she stays there for a couple months. And when she stays there, uh, everything's fine until, you know, it isn't fine because all she wants to do is smoke pot and, and do that with Jerry's wife. Now, Jerry wanted her there because Jerry and Jeanette were swingers. You know, they were, they were wife-swapping, and he had hoped, literally had hoped, that that I would convince Julie to go to bed with Jerry while I went to bed with Jeanette. Oh, okay, well, there you sounds, go. Sounds fun to me, right? But I knew I knew she wouldn't go for that, but that's how, I, that's how it went. And because she wouldn't do it, the relationship kind of faltered, and then, of course, Jerry told me that all she really wanted was my truck anyway. She didn't really want me, and then she was hoping that I'd allow her to take the truck for a run, and, and I'd stay at home, and she just would never come home, kind of thing. And that's when we split company. Um, we decided that was it. I'm not, you know, because they had to, she, had, she had to leave that place and find someplace else to live. And when she did that, she was she went back to her mom's house, and then from there, I think she went to Ogden, Utah. So I thought I saw her in Ogden, Utah, one of the truck stops there. But that was just, you know, in my travels, I thought I'd seen her there. But that that was in 1993. We we parted company. We didn't see anything for a long time. And uh, eventually, in 1995, around March 5th, I was I was in the motel at the Burns Brothers truck stop in Troutdale. I spent the night there, and I came out, and I turned in my key, and then I went to the restaurant, came back, and used the restroom. And I was walking to the restroom, I looked up, and I saw her standing over by the convenience store talking to a couple people, and she saw me. And that's how we met again. We met again at the same truck stop where I'd met her the first time back in '93. And. I knew from the moment I saw her that we would, we'd end up partying that night, and that's the way it would be, that we'd just pick up where we left off. And there's always some reason why Julie was looking and was at the truck stop. I don't know if she was really hooking or she was just out there looking for a free ride. But that's how, that's how it, it seems to be when, you know, when I was there the first time, she was willing to get in the truck with me and just go. And, uh, it was a party time. Like I said, she liked to stay at people's houses until she overstayed her welcome. That's how we met. And, and in 1995, I met her again at the Trout, Trout Gale, the Burns Brothers truck stop, and there she was. So first thing we did, we went straight out to the truck and fucked like rabbits. Ah, sweet. <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's what, that's that's my daily did. goal. <laughs> it was it, it was. We went out there, the first thing is he planted a kiss on me, and we went to bed, and that was it. That's how it all played out. Now, that's when we started hearing uh, her problems. She had, she had a bunch of problems. 
she had uh, two DWIs she'd gotten in one day, in one day, two DWIs. She, she, got, she got pulled over by a cop, a local cop over there in Camas, Washington, and she turned, and he required her to, to surrender her driver's license to him, which she did, and told her that if she could get someone else to drive her car, they get the car out of there. So she saw a friend of hers walking by, so she convinced her to get in the car, and they drove off. Well, a few blocks away, she orders the, the gal out of the car, and she gets in the driver's seat, hits the next intersection, and runs a red light, gets T-boned by another car, and the same cop pulls up and finds her behind the damn wheel of the car. What an idiot! Jesus Christ! And, and without without realizing <laughs> without realizing who she was talking to, she pulls out her driver's license their spare driver's license, and hands it to the same cop. <laughs> that so, is next level stupid is what that is. That's next level stupid. Dude, that is so hilarious. She's got, she got two DWIs, and the car is all fucked up. I mean, literally bash can. It's not worth anything. It's a AMC Spirit, uh, 1976 AMC Spirit. Oh, shit, yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's a $200 pile of junk. That's all it is. It's two hundred dollars on a good day, man. If it has new tires. <laughs> so we spent the night. So we spent the night. We party. We went to Juvitz of all places. Played some pool. Came back on out and went to bed. And everything's supposed to be good. Now we drove over to watch Google that next morning, and we're at. Uh, and she needed to go see her lawyer. Now, this is when this all came out, right? Just all this stuff. And I went to see her lawyer, and I was talking to the lawyer, and the lawyer was talking like I was going to be responsible for Julie's fines and everything because apparently that's what Julie was telling him, telling her. <coughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, yeah, she's going to have to face. You know, she was going to go to court the next Thursday to face her charges, and." And that I was going to, that I was now her fiance. I was going to be married to her. Um, and she had mentioned that, you know, the night before, saying, well, why don't we get married? I said, I thought it was, I said, kind of like in a way, I said, I, I thought it was a deal breaker to get laid, right? I said, well, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> and of course, you know, so now I find out the next day when we're talking to the lawyer that she's serious, kind of like that I mean, we're going to get married kind of thing. And she's telling everybody I'm the fiancé now. But she wouldn't tell anybody who I really was. She was telling everybody that my name was Chris. I wasn't, yeah, even right, right. I wasn't even Keith. I was Chris. So she's lying to everybody, you know, telling them that my name is Chris, not Keith. And we go to the lawyer, and, of course, the lawyer's telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, well, so we leave the lawyer. I have to use the restroom right there, so I stop at a bar, and I go into the bar, and I go into the restroom, and then I come back out, and she's there talking to some other girl. And then she's now convinced the other girl, the other girl convinced her that the car could be hers. She needed a car to drive her to work if she got a job anywhere. And she also needed a place to stay. And since she had a car and the other girl didn't have a car, that she would sign over the car to her on the pretense that she'd have a place to stay as well as someone that would drive her in that car to work back and forth. Everything would be fine. And I said, well, that's kind of strange. That's kind of weird. I said, you really don't want to do that. I mean, and, but I tried to or, tried to talk her out of it. She wouldn't talk. She wouldn't, you know, 
she wouldn't take no for an answer. I said, this is, this is what they're going to do. And I said, well, fine. And I drove her back to Trodale with the other girl. I didn't even get a blowjob or nothing. I was thinking maybe the other girl would suck me off or something for the fact that she's getting a car. But that didn't happen. And uh, we get over there, and they get in the car, and they, it, it, when we first go to the, we first go into the restaurant, and I fill out a bill of sale, and I sign it with my real name, and that's how they catch me. So my real name is on the bill of sale to the car that she's given to this girl that's supposed to give her a place to stay in Washougal, Washington, as well as drive her back and forth to work if she should get a job. Because she has two dead yabba eyes, she's not going to have a license, right? So, after I fill this out, hand this to her, then she goes and fills the car full of gas, and of course they have no fucking money to pay for the gas. And I pay for the gas, and they drive off. Well, that's, that's the story of my life. I'm always helping other people, I guess, but still there. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're listening. We're, we're listening. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, we're listening. I thought you were just all of a sudden no. disappeared. Sometimes the phone goes dead. I'm like, huh? No. So anyway, so I leave. I go down to Clackamas and I stop in at one of the companies I used to work for. I'm checking on on maybe getting out of trucking or whatever like that, working for somebody else. Go back to running construction. But anyway, I go back and I, I go. And that night, I, I play pool. I'm not pool, but uh, cribbage. And so I was going to go to different different taverns that have cribbage to play at, and that's what I would do. And then, uh, well, the following day, on, on Tuesday, apparently the the room that Julie was supposed to have the, the live-in was, wasn't going to be there. It was all bogus. It wasn't going to be there. So she says, well, then if I can't have the room, then I, I want my car back. Well, then the car isn't coming back because... The girl now is driving the car full of gas somewhere, everywhere, and not around where Julie is, because apparently she thinks it's her car now, which it is, because it's a perfectly good bill of sale. And now she can't find a car. Now she wants me to drive around town looking for the car so she can confront her and get her car back. And I said, you can't. The car is in you We fill out a bill of sale. It's her car. You gave it to her. This is what you wanted to do on a Monday afternoon, which she did. And then all of a sudden now she doesn't want it. Now we went around looking for two days, looking for this damn stupid car. It disrupted, you know, and, and even at night when I dropped her off and I went to play cribbage at a, at a, at a you know, like a round table pizza there on Wednesday night, uh, over there off 122nd and uh, Sandy Boulevard. I'd go over there and play, and then that night about midnight, it showed up, and I parked across from the Kentucky Fried Chicken in Camas, and that's where she was supposed to meet me. Well, she gets there, and she has the pizza, and then she's mad because I get the wrong kind of pizza. <laughs> she's mad because she can't find the girl with the car, and she's mad about, and she's telling me all about what she's done, and spreading all these rumors about how bad this girl is treating her and all that like that. Anyway. So we get into this, and then we get into this thing about her going to court the next following day, and we get, you know, we, we're in bed. We have this, we, we screw around, and, and the pillow talk goes to tomorrow morning, you're going to have to go to court and everything like that. And she said, well, you promised you're not going to, you're not going to let him take me to jail. I said, I promised. I promised. I said, 
I said I would help, but I'm not, I didn't say for sure I was not going to let me take jail. Well, you promised. I said, the only thing, Julie, I know of that keep you from jail, and I told her, so I'd have to kill you. That's the only way I know of to keep you from jail. And so that's what I did. Wow. Jesus Christ. And then, yeah, well, a promise is a promise, right? I mean, wow. She put me on the spot. She put me on the spot. She said, you promised that you were going to keep me out of jail. And I said, well, the only, re- the only way I knew to keep her out of jail was to, was to kill her and put, you know, keep her from going to jail, I guess. So that's what I did. And I ended up going over to uh, a wide spot there off Highway 14. Uh, and my mistake, well, I've made a lot of mistakes, but the, the one mistake was to take her nude body and throw her down off the off of the side of the, the road at a wide spot. And there's piles of garbage down there, and I just threw her down on the piles of garbage. And what I should have done was walk down there and carried her further down the trail and throw her off into the blackberry bushes further down because the following day or two, someone came along and saw, looked down, actually walked off, crossed the guardrail, went over several feet through the bush and looked down the hill and saw her, and then reported uh, uh, the body found. And that's how they found me. I uh, found out that, and it, they, they, they found Julie, and then of course, uh, through deduction and uh, good police work, they found that, uh, that receipt where Everyone was saying it was Chris, and then the next thing you know, they found this receipt for the car, and there it is. There's uh, Keith Jesperson, and that's how they pinpointed who I was. But at the time when they did this, I was uh, headed east to Pennsylvania. I was on my way, and then I got over to Pennsylvania, made my delivery, like a load of lumber on there, and then I went over and I picked up at Washington. At Washington, PA, there's uh, remaining. a steel mill. Now, that was... We could continue this on at another time, probably. Yeah, let's hit yeah. this next week and we'll or finish we up can, with we, I might be able to finish that in the next 10, 10 15 minutes. Why don't I call you back? Okay, that okay. works too, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you just happen to get your blogs. This show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying, thieving bastards. We'll talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. <laughs>